Last week, we heard some wise words from the Apostle Paul when he was in prison, and today we're going to hear some more of his wise words when he was in prison, Um, some of the last words he wrote, actually. But first, I want to give some backstory on the book of 2 Timothy, because you guys know I love me some backstory. Ephesus is the city. It's a city in Asia, not Asia the continent, Asia the region in modern-day Turkey, which technically is, yes, in Asia. But when the Bible refers to Asia, don't think China and India, think Western Turkey. Are you with me? Okay. There have been some great sermons about how God didn't want the gospel to go to Asia, but that wasn't true. He's just telling, Paul, don't go to Ephesus yet. That's all that was. Anyway, really interesting theologies that develop out of misreadings of the Bible. But um, Ephesus was a huge city in Asia. It was a port city. It was one of the most important ports in the ancient world. Uh, it, it was a diverse place. It was large. Uh, people from all over the world came there. There was a huge harbor, and it was very much known for the Temple of Artemis, or Diana, depending on which version of the Bible that you read. And the, uh, the Temple of Artemis was one of the ancient wonders of the world. It was a massive structure on top of a hill that you could see from the harbor and beyond. So if you're sailing by Ephesus, you would see this thing shining like the sun on this hill. It was huge. Uh, the, the pillars of this thing were, were 40 feet high, massive around. There's still a whole bunch of them are, are, are still there. You can visit the ruins. I've never been there, but I really want to go someday because I think it'd be awesome. Um, And it was so big, it was like 425 feet long, 225 feet wide. It was a huge structure. So like I say, you could see this from all over the place. And this was sort of the town's mascot. This was like their Statue of Liberty. Like, if you go to Ephesus, you're going to want to get a license plate with the Temple of Artemis on it, right? Like, uh, it was this, this big deal. Now... Inside the temple was an idol to the goddess Artemis, who most scholars, not all, but most believe that she was a a fertility goddess uh, and uh, uh, that the the town or the, the city was sort of centered around worship of her. Now, here's the thing. In the ancient world, when you had fertility gods and goddesses and their temples, the worship of said gods and goddesses would often involve, almost always involve priests and priestesses in their service who served basically as temple prostitutes. This was very common in the ancient world. This was just how religion worked in most places in the ancient world. So you've got this place that is known for this temple and it is a, I mean, like, it's crowded, it's cosmopolitan, it's, uh, it, it's a place that people wanted to go. And it was here, in Ephesus, and Paul, uh, Paul's like, I want to go. Uh-oh. We've got beard interference on the new microphone. I don't want to pull it too much. We're renting this microphone to test it out. Is that good? It's all right? Okay. I, I didn't bend it. I, I kind of rotated. Okay? We're good. Thank you, sound man. Andrew, our sound man, ladies and gentlemen. So you have this crowded, exciting city, thoroughly pagan. And Paul's like, there's where I want to go. I want to plant a church right there. And he does in Acts chapter 18. He plants a church in the middle of 
Ephesus. Yes. Very excited. And uh, he drops off some of his friends, Priscilla and Aquila, to lead that charge for a bit while he's going to some other places. And, uh, and he eventually returns in Acts 19, and things are really starting to cook. It's been a couple of years. Things are really starting to pick up. Um, they're introduced to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and of course, that just accelerates the growth of the church. Uh, they start to grow enough that people begin to gossip about them. So you got some good news, bad news, right? You've got all these rumors flying around about them. And uh, hey, people, people are starting to find out about the worship of Jesus Christ. So Paul goes over there, and it's a bit of a, he's like, okay, we, gotta, we have to let people know what this is all about. So it says Paul withdrew from the disciples, which I, I take to mean he probably sort of stepped out of some of the daily life of, of with the, the local church community and began to focus his energies on reaching the city by speaking every single day. He went to a venue called the School of Tyrannus. I don't know what that looked like. I don't know if there were dinosaurs involved, but every time you hear the name Tyrannus, that's where my mind goes. It was probably a public lecture hall um, that somebody named Tyrannus uh, uh, had paid for, but he would go there every single day and lecture about Jesus Christ. These were public forums where everybody would want to come in and listen to whatever was going on. You know, they would, there would be talks on philosophy or government or all this kind of stuff. Paul is coming in talking about Jesus every day for like three years, okay? Now, Luke says in Acts 19, verse 10, this continued, oh, two years, sorry, for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Imagine that. That kind of big city, his efforts are that successful. Um, it, and, uh, and then there's a crazy miracles start happening, power encounters, healings, all this kind of stuff. And things are just getting hotter and hotter. And Luke says, the name of the Lord was magnified. People began bringing their very expensive pagan books of spells to the town square and burning them in acts of repentance, like as big groups, right? This is all very public. This is all very, very countercultural to this, you know, culture of Artemis. And Luke uses this phrase, the word of the Lord was triumphing mightily. Isn't that a good phrase? So things are going so well that Paul dismisses some of his people, one of them uh, being Timothy. He sends Timothy up to a different city for a while. Timothy had been one of Paul's closest companions, an early convert along with his mother and grandmother, uh, he had probably come to Jesus in his teens um, and uh, had stuck with Paul and had shown himself to be a very capable minister. So Paul had sent him away. Things are going good. And then all of a sudden, things blow up, like scandal erupts in Ephesus. And no, this wasn't some like high profile moral failing or something. What happens was the city rioted. That's what happened. The city riots because the church had been so successful. What happened, it was, it was economically based here. The church had been so successful that the local artists who make the license plates and who would make these little, like, statues of, of the, the idol, Artemis, make these little statues and people could put them on their key rings and stuff. Right? People stopped buying them. Now, this is a major part of the, the economy of the city, and people stopped buying them. 
And so they're getting furious. These guys who work with silver and who make these little idols, and they're like, how dare he? And then so they, they whipped up a crowd, and, and they started, it started with a protest of sorts. Paul doesn't like Artemis. Hey, ho, Paul the Apostle's got to go, you know. And, and then people don't know why, but they're just whipping him up. And he says Artemis is bad, and that's our goddess, and how dare he? And pretty soon people are rioting, and they don't know why. <laughs> that's what happened with mob rule, right? The whole city gets in chaos and is coming out trying to find Paul and Paul's like, let me go talk to him. And they're like, his disciples, and they're like, no, what are you, you are not going out there. Like, oh. anyway, it's good they didn't let him go. He probably would have died that day. But after this, I, I, you know, the, the, that day, things don't completely melt down. The church isn't destroyed that day. Thing, you know, sort of returns to, to a level of peace. And Paul's like, I should probably go, though, you guys. And he did. But meanwhile, he has his church in some serious turmoil. The whole city's kind of turned on the church. So he's got to put somebody there in charge. And he sends Timothy. This young man, Timothy. We don't know how old Timothy was by this time. Scholars guess he, he was at least in his late 20s, probably his early 30s, when he was sent to be the leader of this church, this sort of citywide church. Um, he was young enough that in Paul's first letter, Paul spent a good bit of time talking about, hey, I know that you're young, so keep being bold anyway to people that are older than you. So this was definitely an issue. Um, he is, uh, but he has, obviously has some wonderful leadership traits. Uh, he's, he's been leading people who are, uh, uh, you know, going through various stages of of meeting Jesus and trying to tear away from the culture, all this stuff. And uh, Paul has mentored him, so he's the guy. So Paul writes a letter to him, but after a couple years, we're about 65 AD here, if you like to follow the timelines. Paul now, this is the last letter that we know that he wrote. It was to Timothy. He's been in prison, and here's how he starts his letter to his protege, that he has assigned a really difficult task, okay? Paul, this is 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 7. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing. I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and whom I persuaded, I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Skip to chapter two. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the thing that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will also be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I wanted to give you the backstory to show you this is a really difficult thing you had to do. This isn't an easy task. And the tone of the letter shows that. It's, 
the t- this is the whole tone of the letter. I mean, it's very kind. It's very gentle, but it's also, hey, this is hard. This is going to stink at times. Don't be afraid. You're going to face all kinds of hardship. In fact, you're going to suffer, but keep going. Be faithful with the gifts with which you've been given. Be faithful right where you are. Don't stop. Keep going. That's the letter. And that's what I want to talk to you guys about this morning. Not just to the young people, although it's so convenient that I have so many young people sitting right up here this morning. Not just to the young people, but I feel a special draw toward you guys, toward the young, young people in the room, teens, 20s, and, and the early 30s, uh, because that's who Paul was writing to here. And so this, I, I feel like especially, I, I hope that you guys hear these words this morning and, and that the Lord speaks in whatever way and takes away any extra stuff that I say that stinks and probably something Bo wrote. his sermon after all, right? You guys have not been given a task quite like Timothy, which is probably good because that's really, really difficult, right? But we all, you've all been given gifts and passions. You've been given things. You've been given settings. And the Holy Spirit is with you. And I, I want to tell you, even in the midst of the hard stuff, to keep going and to be faithful. This could be a difficult message for us to really grab onto. I mean, it sounds easy enough, but the fact is there are some major hindrances that this simple call to faithfulness uh, that, that could stand in the way of that thing. So I'm going to give you three hindrances to faithfulness that, I, that I've just been thinking a lot about. And there's a lot more, obviously. Here's the first one, idealism. Idealism. I grew up... In Youth with a Mission, my parents were, it's the biggest uh, missions organization in the world, worldwide. We were based in East Texas. My parents were involved in training and sending in missionaries all over the planet. And some of the time, I also got to go on trips. And when I was eight years old, I got to go on my first trip. I was with a group called the King's Kids. Do we have any King's Kids veterans here? We have a couple. We've got Carly and Janelle. Is that all? Oh, Jeff, of course. Yeah, yeah. Right on. So, um, I mean, it was, it was like a traveling performing arts group, you know, and we'd sing all about the goodness of God, and we would, you know, do dances. I'm going to do one for you right now. No, I'm not. Um, <laughs> I scared a couple on the front row. Um, I, I, when we were eight on this first trip, we were going up the, the East Coast, and everybody was really excited about one of our stops. I didn't understand the significance of it at the time, but they said, you guys... We are going to be on the 700 Club. Now, we know the 700 Club today, probably a lot of you. In the 80s, this was a huge deal <laughs> because we didn't have all these channels, right? This was the only, like, Christian Broadcasting Network was it. This was central, like, whoa! I remember getting there. I didn't really understand it that much. I was eight, right? I get there, and I see Pat Robertson up on stage. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I go, and I'm getting... I had to get makeup on. You know why? Because they wanted to interview me. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we, we, we sing a song, I'm going to stand up. Anyway, um, that was free. Carly and Janelle actually are going to come up and do the whole song now. So we're, um, 
We do the song, and after uh, they set us up in these chairs, and we're sitting, and we go to commercial break, and I'm frantically trying to figure out how to pin on my microphone, and, and we see the countdown and the bright lights, and three, two, one, they pin it on and run out. I'm like, oh, and I'm like sitting there all chill. Like nothing happened. They interviewed a couple of people, 16-year-old, 14-year-old, I think a 12-year-old, and then me, an 8-year-old. I was the last one. And so the guy comes to me. His name was Ben Kinchlow. Some of you remember Ben. He's a really cool guy. And he says, Jason, Haig is eight. Jason, where did they find you? <laughs> you know, he's talking to a kid. just being... And I'm like, well, that's hard to say. Because they're not really the ones who picked me. God called on me, and he's the one who picked me. Yeah, I remember this very clearly, because my mom showed people at every dinner party for years. The stupid v the, the VHS tape got destroyed in a flood. Thanks be to God. There was some work. But I said it, and he went like, like that, right? And afterwards, that's all people were talking about, was this eight-year-old kid who said this big thing. You know what people told me? God's going to do big things through you, young man. I got back to Texas, and I'm walking around on this YWAM base for the next six months, and I'm always seeing people, oh, I saw your interview on the 700 Club. Man, you stole the show. God's going to do big things through you, young man. And here's the thing. At that time, this was the, like, the, the, the youth, like, uh, church culture at the time. It was when uh, the sort of, you know, media explosion was happening. And there was just this, this new whole, like, neighborhood of, like, Christian media, Christian events, Christian stadium events, and all these things. And so when we would go, and it, especially in a missions environment, here's what we would hear. God's going to do big things through you kids. We're on the verge of accomplishing the Great Commission. You're the Joshua generation. God's going to do big things through you kids. And we would be like, sweet. <laughs> so this message only encouraged that. Oh, I'm going to be especially important. <laughs> I was eight years old when I gave that answer. Big things. And you guys, I'm going to tell you, it wasn't helpful in the long run. It wasn't. You know why? There are so many people who, I, I, I think I've felt the same thing. I grew up, and I didn't change the world. Like, I am 45 years old, and I have not sparked one revival around the world. Not one. That's kind of, a, kind of a joke there. Yeah. That's what I thought I was supposed to live up to. You're going to do this thing. We, we read about Charles Finney, and we read about you know, George Whitfield, these great moves of God, and they're saying, you're going to be in the middle of that. I'm like, sweet. And guess what? You all grow up, and then you're 45, and you got five kids and a mortgage. And a service dog is kind of a lousy service dog. Life is pretty daily and normal. I did not change the world, you guys. And you know what? I think a lot of us 
have felt that thing. This was a big pressure. Can anybody else relate to this who grew up in my generation? There we go. Okay. <laughs> it was a big pressure for us in the 80s and 90s because this was a really big deal. And you just like wake up and you're normal and that's so disappointing. This is also a big deal for this current group of young people, but in a different way, okay? It was a huge thing for us. We were told, you're gonna change the world. A lot of you guys are, gonna be, are, are being told, you have to change the world. You must. You must. And you see examples of it all over. Like, you're supposed to do this, and then you see the story. Did you see? Did you read about that young man? Oh my goodness, 23 years old. Started a pure water company in Tanzania. Oh my goodness. It's caught on all over the place. And it's like, we should be doing that. And unless we're doing what he's doing, or well, see that young girl, she's 21. She escaped from human trafficking when she was 13. Now she's started this massive rescue agency and it's all over the 1040 window. And it's just beautiful. And you're like, I guess we're supposed to be doing that. And then you get to like the influencers who are like walking around looking all beautiful and talking about, guys, we're going for this cause and we're going to raise so much money and it's going to be amazing. And make sure you only buy these ethically sustainable clothes, okay? Follow! You know, like, and you're like, everything is supposed to be that. You know what I'm saying? Like everything, like you guys are supposed to make every right, like purchasing decision that's going to be, and you're supposed to use your voice in just this way and use these particular hashtags and have these particular opinions. And if you do this, then you will change the world and have the sense of fulfillment. I'm sorry you guys have to go through that. I really am. I truly am. Because that's a lot and it's not fair. It's not fair. These guys have a lot of pressure to change the world, to make this big difference. And that is an untenable situation. You know why? Because that puts you at the center of your story and you're not supposed to be at the center of your story. Amen. Amen. He's the hero. Amen. You don't have to be the heroes. He's the hero. This pushes us to, to think that we're supposed to make something and do something and start something. For us, it was always like, what international ministry are you going to start? Because we're in the missions world, you know, like, I want to start a coffee shop in the middle of this tribe that's never heard the gospel before. So start meshing all these, like, everybody in the 90s thought they were supposed to start a Christian coffee shop somewhere. That was a thing. You guys remember this? That was a thing. But I digress. It's not healthy for any of us, this sort of idealism. We're not the hero of our story. Jesus is the hero of our story. You have not been tasked with changing the world, you guys. Hear me. You do not have to change the world. You've been given the task of following Jesus in a very complicated world. So take what you have, endure hardship, keep going, be faithful with the thing that you have not with the things you don't have. Amen. Idealism does not help you in your faithfulness. The second thing that hinders faithfulness is impatience. Yesterday, Sarah and I had a great victory. We upgraded our internet. <laughs> a lot of people are doing that in Junction City. Yes, after 12 years of living in our home, we finally ditched Comcast, and I feel free. Got fiber optic internet. The first thing I did after the guy set it up, man, I almost just said I love you, man, and gave him a big hug. I didn't, but I, 
Uh, first thing I did was do a speed test. You know, you Google speed test, boom. And I see this go whoop. And it was like hovering around one gigabit per second. I'm like, <laughs> I did upload speed. That can't be as high. 500 megabits per second. It takes me, when I'm here, it takes me like over an hour to upload a sermon if we have to like do some editing. It takes me like an hour to upload. This is literally 100 times as fast as, as that. I was so excited. We like fast things, don't we? And sometimes we, well, sometimes I think we take our fast worlds and we're tempted to believe that impact and a sense of fulfillment can happen quickly also. But it doesn't. It almost never does. The inner sense of fulfillment that we long for in life, that we feel like we ought to arrive easily and quickly, that it's, it doesn't work that way. It almost never works that way. Now, I think, you know, people who can fall into this are new parents because you're so excited that this baby's coming. And when you see this baby, then you'll feel, like, feel total fulfillment. Now, you will feel overwhelming amount of love, okay? That is true. But I don't know about you guys. I didn't have, like, the sense of, like, fulfillment, you know? Like, in those early days, it's, it's easy to feel simple exhaustion, Frustration, resentment, true, right? It's not fair toward the baby, but it's what you feel sometimes. And like, you're, you're just hoping, you know, like I, was, I thought this would change me inside, but now I'm just depressed. I'm sick of changing diapers and feeding this. Now, I felt this as a dad. My moms, I think, feel this way more, right? I'm sure we have big examples of that. If you're, if you're hoping... That, that will scratch the itch, man, I'm making a difference. You might also be treating your career that way <laughs> or your choices in school that way. I'm doing a thing that now makes me fulfilled. You, so you make the change. You do a different thing. And then you quickly find out this isn't what it's cracked up to be. Like, I still don't feel fulfilled. What is going on? Well, that kind of fulfillment, I think, I, I mean, I hope and pray that that does come in at least little doses, you know? I hope that you moms especially who are home with little children realize that you are taking care of a helpless person, that you're taking care of somebody. Without you, they would die. You're taking care of a hungry, hungry person. I hope that you can see that. Because if you were doing that, like, if you're looking at somebody doing that around the world with an orphan, you'd be like, wow! But then you look and you're like, oh, this is nothing. It's, no, it is something. It's a beautiful thing. I hope that you can get senses of that, you know, along the way. But chances are, it's going to take a while. It's going to take the benefit of being able to look back at your time walking with that child, that you're going to have that sense of like, hey, I did some good things. You know what I mean? That sense of fulfillment, that sense of like, ah. Now you'll probably go, I did some bad things too. Oh. But sometimes that sense of purpose that you're desperately longing for only happens when you take years of showing up. You just keep going. You just keep going. I think that's the biggest thing with parenting. You just keep going. Be the world's okayest parent. 
Just keep showing up every day. Just keep going. That's where faithfulness is measured, you guys. It's when you look back and you can see the presence of God. You can see how he covered for you. You can see, man, I did not stop in this thing that I was doing, in this job that I was doing, in this study that I was doing, and working with these people, and loving these people. I did not stop. And that's where your heart a lot of times starts feeling that. Please don't try to judge that in the short term. Please don't make a decision for something and go, here it is, no, it's not here. I don't feel fulfilled at all. I'm not doing anything important. And ditch it. Keep going. You have been given the task of following Jesus in a complicated world. Take what you have, endure hardship, be faithful. The third thing is inferiority. This can also rob you of faithfulness. I would like to do something. I would like to be faithful, but I can't because I'm not fill in the blank. Maybe they can do it, but I can't. In 2010, I uh, had only been here for like a year and was preparing for an outreach to China. Some of you guys remember this, I'm sure. Uh, and uh, who came with me? Was anybody here that came with me? I, Aaron I saw somewhere, but I don't know. Anyway, we, a handful of us came, um, and I was preparing for this thing, and I had a lot of responsibility uh, as uh, uh, I had all these, uh, these teenagers to deal with. Like, I was running this whole uh, camp, or helping to run this whole camp, with Jonathan Allen, our missionary, but my charge was the high schoolers. And so I had hundreds of these brilliant Chinese high schoolers that were there and a bunch of American high schoolers that maybe weren't necessarily like the top, 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 but they just like love Jesus and they're there. It was awesome. I don't even say that. And you're like, there's nothing negative there at all. It's just the truth. Um, and uh, they didn't have to like get the top grades or something to go. And so I'm so excited, we're doing this thing, but I'm overwhelmed, it hits me. This is a really big task. And at that time, I was like very, very depressed, kind of walking through the dark night of the soul. And, uh, and so we're in a staff meeting one time, and I'm asking for prayer. Now, I don't know if you guys know our pastoral staff, but our pastoral staff is a very positive group. We have Joshua Rivas. Every time you see him, He's so positive. You should see him in his text messages. He's so lovey-dovey all the time, like always. It's really hard for Janelle and I. Like, how do I respond to this? I, he's so kind. And then you got Red Crab. You go to Red Crab, how you doing, Red? He said, well, if I do it any better, I'd be twins. I don't even know what that means, but it's so positive. And then my good friend, Jeff Starr. I've known Jeff for 28 years now. I, yeah, I can't even understand you, but I know it was something positive. <laughs> he lost his voice. The most encouraging man on the planet. So I'm sitting here in a staff meeting with these guys trying to like say, guys, I feel really overwhelmed and I don't know if I can do this. What do you think happened? 
that I just like kept encouraging, you got this, man, you're made for this, ah, you get it. And I'm like, guys, hold on, hold on just a second. I think I need you to hear me. Thank you, you're wonderful, all of you. But hear me, this isn't what I need right now. What I want to tell you is I truly feel completely overwhelmed and not up to this task, and I need prayer. Like, and so John Bowers was there, our founding pastor. He wasn't even really on staff anymore. He just hung around to distract us and take us to donuts all the time. That was... <laughs> and he said, I get it. So he's, he, starts talking about, he starts talking about boats up at the Columbia River. He's like, he's like so... You know, you're driving up there around Portland, you see these big ships and these big containers and all these, and then you see these little tiny dinghies. You feel like a dinghy. <laughs> and I said, yes. He goes, and he said this to me, get this. He said, good, that's fine, be a dinghy. He goes, that's fine. It's okay, be weak. Just understand that behind you, there's a big old ship behind you. And that represents our prayers and us being with you and the Holy Spirit being with you. You can be weak, that's fine. But you're not alone, son. Guys, that spoke to me deeply. And I have never forgotten that. And I've held on to that. It's okay. Let me say this. On some level, it's okay to have an inferiority complex because at least then you know that you need him. You know? It's like that story of Moses when he's like, who am I, Lord, to go and set the children of Israel free? Like, God, how? And God's like, Moses, I'm coming with you. Why, why are you forgetting? You're burying the lead here, Moses. I am going with you. Here's a stick. You know? He's coming with you. If you feel like you cannot be faithful to God in whatever arena he's put you, in whatever place he's put you, if you feel inferior, you're not strong enough, you're not big enough, you're not holy enough, I'm here to say you're right. And that's okay. Because you do not walk alone. You do not walk alone. You were never supposed to be some rock star. Who told you that? Sorry, a lot of pastors told you that probably. You don't have to be a rock star. You can just be the person that Jesus designed you to be. Be you, be, be, be. I mean, just like, you know, God made us incomplete. Did you know that? God made us incomplete. He did not make you a perfectly well-rounded person. And that's okay. I will never, ever be good at details, guys, ever. It's just not gonna happen. But that's why Janelle and Carly are in my life. That's, why my, that's one of the reasons my wife is in my life. I just know, I'm just not, I'm just saying, you know, he put them there. And you know what? God covers for us in all of our deficiencies. So be who you are. Be who God's called you to be. Be faithful with the things you have. Stop lamenting the things you don't. And start being thankful more and more for your brothers and sisters who do have the things that you lack. I am so thankful for people who are good at things that I stink at because I don't want to do them. <laughs> I'm so thankful Mark Wall is around when things break and I'm walking around going, yeah, gosh. Like afraid that I'm somehow going to be called into duty to hold a power tool and I'm like, <laughs> I can't even hold them right, you know? 
like the only tools I have are words. That's like the only thing I know how to use. And Mark does, he does so many, he's so stinking versatile. He does all this stuff. I'm so thankful for that. You know, we can walk through life this way of leaning on one another and leaning on him. You are not called to be faithful in ways that you're not been gifted, that in ways that you don't have. You're not supposed to be a rock star. We are the family of God. You get that? Family. We work together. We work together. It is possible, friends, to be faithful, to endure hardship, to keep going, to not give up. We don't know exactly all that happened with Timothy after he received this letter. But we do think he heard Paul's words because, by all accounts, he was faithful. He's often called the Bishop of Ephesus. It appears, according to tradition, that he was martyred like so many of the disciples uh, in about 95 AD. Did he change the world? No. Jesus changed the world. And Timothy, he played a really amazing role, didn't he? He made a difference because he took the gifts that he actually had and he, sh- he gave them to God and he showed up day after day after day after day and he ran his race. This is your call, friends, to run your race. Not mine. Not Timothy's. Not your parents. Run your race. And be faithful in the way that he's designed in you. And you guys... He will be faithful. I can promise you that. He will be faithful, even if you are not. Let's stand together.